It's good to see everyone here this morning. I'm glad you took your time out of your life to come worship God with us. I hope the things that I say might bring some comfort to your life. Because that's what this Psalms 23 really says to me is comfort, you know. It's not something that teaches us about God's wrath. It doesn't teach us about God's uh, plan of salvation. But what it teaches about is the stuff that God uses to comfort us with. It shows the comfort that we could have in God. You know, the first thing that I think of when I think of this passage, I think of funerals. I've heard this passage at a lot and a lot of funerals. And I believe that's appropriate, but I believe there's a lot of things that we can get out of this passage before we die. <laughs> before our family sits out there and mourns for us. I believe there's a lot of things we can get out of this passage. You know... There's a reason that God put this in here, that David did this. David knew what a shepherd was. David was a shepherd boy from his youth. You know, when Samuel came out to find the next king of David, king of Israel, at Jesse's house, he looked through all the boys. And he said, is there not another one? He goes, yeah, there's a little scrawny one, but he's out there tending the sheep. That's what he did from his youth up. So he knew what a shepherd was. And he knew that God could be compared to a shepherd. You know, throughout the Bible, us as Christians are compared to sheep. You can find it in many, many places. Because one of the big careers of that day was to be a shepherd. And people understood that. And we understand that today. We understand what it takes to take care of livestock. We understand that. Well, what does a shepherd do? He provides for the sheep. And God wants to provide for you today. That's what a shepherd does. When it comes down to it, you know, a shepherd may do a lot of things, but everything a shepherd does comes down to providing something for his sheep. And we're going to look at a few of the things that God provides for us today. This is no, in no way an exhaustive list, because that would take forever, I believe, to talk about all the things that God provides for us. But there are just a few things that are specifically mentioned here in Psalms 23 that we can take with us and know that God is going to provide that for us if we are one of His sheep. I believe using this psalm as the last one of our series on psalms is a good thing. Because we've heard a lot about the Word of God. We've heard a lot about raising a family of God. But now we're going to find out what God will do for us if we do those things. What God will provide for us. If we follow His Word. If we raise a family like we're supposed to. We're going to find out what God will provide. You know, the first thing God provides is rest for His sheep. In the second verse of that psalm, He says He makes them to lie down by still waters. You know, whenever I think of lying down, I think of rest. He will provide a rest. Not only a physical rest, but a spiritual rest. If you look at Matthew 11 and 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is one of the most comforting verses in the whole Bible to me. Because no matter how bad a day I had, no matter how many sins I committed, I know I can take them to God and He'll help me carry them. I don't have to carry anything by myself. And none of His sheep have to either. If you are one of his sheep, you can take anything you have to God, whether it's financial, whether it's work-related, whether it's spiritually related. 
You can take it to him and he will help you bear it. I don't do this very often, but I actually have a poem here called Footprints in the Sand. Now, a lot of you probably know this poem. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it because, to be honest with you, I didn't know it was going to print off that little whenever I printed it. And I might have a hard time reading it. But a lot of you probably even have this hanging in your house somewhere. And what is it? It's a guy talking about he was dreaming one night. And it was like he was on a beach. And his life started to kind of flash before him, and it did it in kind of a footprint way. And he said, well, in all the good times, there were two sets of prints. And he said he kind of noticed that when it was a bad time, he only had one set of prints. It kind of concerned him a little bit. And he asked Jesus about it, and he goes, Lord, you said if I followed you and did all these things, you would never leave me. And he said, my, my son, the time you've seen one set of footprints is when I carried you. Let God carry you. He will do it. He is faithful to do it. He does not want us to be burdened down in this life. That's not how God intended us for us to live this life. If he intended us to live that way, what kind of God would we serve? You know what? It's amazing to me that a God, a God that created everything by speaking is concerned with my little old problems and wants to help me with it. But the problem is, a lot of times, hey, we don't want help. Especially in this country. I built up myself. I can take care of myself. I don't need anybody's help. And the sad thing is, whenever we say we don't need anybody's help, that includes the living God that gave his son for us. And he's sitting there willing to say, bring all your problems to me and I'll take care of them. And you won't have to worry about a thing. God provides physically for his sheep. In the uh, first verse of Psalms, it says, I shall not want. Now, I don't believe, there, there's two uh, trains of thought that I've found out on this verse. A lot of people think that means you're never going to want anything. I don't believe that at all. But what I do believe is God's going to provide everything that you have to have. Anything to sustain life, God can provide and will provide for you. It's not, it may not be the nicest things that you like. But the thing that God will do, He will never let His people suffer like that. He will always provide the necessities that you need. And if you keep looking in that, in verse 2, anybody that knows anything about livestock, there's two things you need. You need water and you need pasture. And He says, He leads us by the still waters and green pastures. That's something you need. That's something that livestock need. And David knew that. And in verse 5, he says, Thou preparest me a table, and my cup runneth over. Now, God blessed David very much there. He was providing for David there. In Matthew 6, we're going to turn over and read a part of this. In Matthew chapter 6, I believe this is also a very comforting verse that goes along with what we're talking about here. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Your heavenly Father feedeth them, are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add it to your cubit unto one stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and they toil not, neither do they spin. 
And yet I say unto ye that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass on the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, you, O ye of little faith? God said, why are you worrying about the things of tomorrow? It's going to take care of itself. It even goes on further in the scripture. He says, it's going to, tomorrow's going to take care of itself. He says, God provides for the birds and he provides for the grass. Isn't he going to provide for you, his people? He provides food for birds and they don't store up in barns. He provides clothes for the grass. And he said, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as fine as these. And we talked about Solomon's glory last week. That guy, he probably had a closet full of things that we couldn't even think about wanting to have, wanting to own. But he says, the fields of the grass are more than these. You know, in Matthew 3 and 4, we talk about John the Baptist here. And it says his raiment was of camel's hair, and his food was locusts and wild honey. You know, that's one way God can provide through nature. You know the American Indians? They could kill one buffalo and use every part of it for some part of their existence. The meat for food, the bones for tools and weapons, the hide they could use to make tents or clothes. And all that was just found in nature that God created for us. You know, whenever we were growing up on the farm there in Tom Bean. Me and my sister went out exploring one day because it was 12 acres and we were little and we thought we'd be explorers. Well, we came upon this vine and it was a long, I mean, it was long. And we just picked all this stuff off of it. We didn't know what it was. So we took it back to Dad. He goes, you know what that is? I go, no, what is it? He goes, that's blackberries. Where'd you find that vine? I'm going to move that a little bit closer to the house. That way we can have blackberries. And sure enough, we brought it up and it grew. But you know what? That was just out in the wild. God will provide. Another way God provides is He gave you every talent you ever have, you'll ever get. That is something that God blessed you with. He blessed you with the way that you make your money today. None of us would be able to make any money today without God. Because He created each and every one of us. And He created all the things I can do good and all the things I can't do good. And there's a long list on the I can't do good side. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but the things I can do, God provided that for me. That way I can make a living. But you know what I think our problem is? We, we leave this verse out a lot. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. You know, sometimes I want the nice, nice food. I want the nice clothes. I want the nice car. <laughs> And I overlook all the blessings that God has given me. I overlook all the things that He has provided for me. And I think, all I want is better, man. Just a little bit better. Come on, just kicking a steak dinner every now and then. And I overlook all the times that He's taking care of me. And you know what? It's a lot easier to read that verse than it is to live it, let me tell you. If we had a lot of people that could live that way, we'd be in a lot better shape as a country. Instead of everybody fighting for that next dollar. Another thing God can provide for us. He provides leadership. You know, 
the song that Jeremy led and the song that Colby's going to give an application on today deals with this very topic. You know, in verse 2, he says, He leadeth me by still waters. In verse 3, he says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness. And in verse 4, he says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Well, what does a rod and a staff have to do with leadership? Well, as best as I can tell in the way that they did their sheep herding is, what they would do is they'd take their staff and they'd kind of gently move the sheep whichever way they wanted them to go. And you know what? I guess to an animal that would be a comfort. That way you know somebody's always watching out for you. Somebody's always leading you in the way you should go. That way you're not going to get in trouble. And he's sitting there and he's saying, that rod and that staff, they cut me. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to let you lead me. I'm going to let you put your staff on me and lead me through this. In Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14, he talks about the wide gate and the narrow gate. And he says there's going to be few people that find that narrow gate that leads to life eternal. But many are going to go in at the wide way that lead to destruction. Well, God will lead us to the narrow way if we'll follow. He has put specific ways in motion that he is going to lead us. If you would, turn to 2 Timothy 3. Second Timothy three, and we're going to start in verse sixteen. All Scripture is given for inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly, thoroughly furnished into all good works. You know what happens when you get off course? You need to get in the book and find out how to get back on course. He says that the Scripture is given for reproof. And for correction, that means it's meant to get you back on the course you're supposed to be getting on. You're supposed to be on. It's going to get you back on that straight course if you look if you look into the Word and diligently look for the answers that you need. In Psalms one nineteen and one hundred five that Danny talked to us about, David says, "Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path." He's going to light the way for you if you follow His Word. He's going to show you exactly where you need to go. You know what? In the business that I am, I'm in, where we drive buses, and we go on field trips sometimes, that we go out to Wichita Falls, and sometimes we go out to, we've even been as far as Arizona, taking some kids that would charter a bus out there. And every time they assign a lead driver, and this lead driver is given a book of maps about every way to get to where we're supposed to be going. And it's his job to study those maps, especially when we're going on a long trip. That way he doesn't get the rest of us lost on the way out there. Now, I have been a lead driver before, and I'll tell you I've gotten people lost before. It's just an inevitability when you're dealing with humans, okay? People can make mistakes. People don't maybe always read the map right. That's something we can get into at a different time. But the map is given so we don't get lost. And God has given us a spiritual roadmap so we won't get lost. That's what this is. This is a spiritual roadmap so you can find your way to heaven. You can work out your own salvation. You can look at it and read it for yourself. You don't have to have somebody else explain it to you. 
You don't have to have some expert come in and go, okay, now you know what this means? Because the last time that I looked this up, which was, I guess, about 10 years ago now, the Bible was written on a fifth grade reading level. Now, some of it's a little, that was not including revelations and some of that. But for the most part, if you have a fifth grade education, you can read the, read the Bible and at least understand, if not understand what the parable means, but understand what the parable is. So you don't have to have some expert that went to seminary for three years to tell you, okay, now this is what this means. I've studied it for three years. Now, if you want to study the Bible for that long, go right ahead. I don't care. As a matter of fact, I think that would be good for you. But you don't need somebody to come and tell you what to believe. God gave it to you right here. All you got to do is study the map. And it will get you to heaven, people. Brothers and sisters, it will get us to heaven if we follow what we what God has given us. And as Danny said, His commandments are not grievous. But we have to follow. See, that's the thing about leadership. Leadership can be great, but if nobody follows, it doesn't accomplish anything. You've got to be willing to give your life over to Christ and say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow what you want me to do. Because Christ can be the greatest leader, but if you refuse to follow, there ain't nothing He can do for you. You have to make up your mind that I'm going to follow Jesus. We sing a song, I have decided. You're going to have to decide to follow Jesus. He's not going to force you to follow him. But our life will be a lot better in the end if you do. God provides physical protection for his sheep. In Psalms 23 and 5, it talks about how David... How God provided him a table in the midst of his enemies. And there's two uh, ways of thought on this, and both of them are pretty good as far as what I can figure out. One thought is that he was so, he felt so comforted by God's presence that he was willing to sit down and have a meal with his enemies all around him. Or that this was a celebration for a victory that God had given him over his enemies, and it was a celebration dinner because he had provided victory. Either way, I can see that that would be an applicable, either one of those would be applicable, I, I, I could see from what I've studied. But the thing is, God provided protection, whether it was in battle or whether his enemies were all around him, God provided the protection for his sheep. You know, David knew something about providing protection for his sheep. You know, when David was a shepherd boy, there was this lion that came into his herd. And he decided, that lion decided, I'm going to take one of these lambs with me back to my den. And you know what David did? I, you couldn't pay me enough to mess with this man after I heard this. He went down there in that lion's den and he drug that sheep back out. He protected his sheep. He did the same thing with a bear. I mean, this guy stands up to bears and he stands up to lions? <laughs> That's protection, people. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, if we have somebody that would protect us that good, sign him up for the police force right now. <laughs> I want a guy that will go down there in the lion's den and bring me back out. That's what I want. And then we see David providing protection through God against Goliath. God was protecting his sheep through David. Nobody else wanted to go out and fight the great Goliath. But David said, I'll go out in there and do it, and God's going to be with me. And whenever God sent him out there, God was with him, and God provided protection for his sheep through David that day. You know, there are many others that we read about in the Bible that God provided protection for. We have Daniel. 
and King Darius. You know, King Darius' people weren't too happy with Daniel. But they decided the only way they can get him was through his God. So they went in and they buttered up the king going, oh man, you're great, Darius. You know what would be even better? If we made a decree that nobody could pray for you through anybody but you for the next 30 days. That's how great you are. And old King Darius starts feeling, man, I am that great, ain't I? I could, people ought to be praying through me. But you know what I find amazing? It didn't even take them 30 days. The first day they caught Daniel out there praying as he did a full time. And then King Darius' advisors drug him back up, drug Daniel to him. He goes, Darius, you remember what you signed? According to the laws of Medes and Persians that cannot change? You've got to take care of this problem. And Darius was very sorrowful because he loved Daniel. But he said, for the sake of the law, since it could not be changed, he was to be thrown into the den of lions. So they took Daniel out there and they threw him into a lion's den. But God protected him. God closed the mouths of the lions. And Darius was all tore about it all night. He fasted and he prayed all night about it. And in the morning, he got up in a dead sprint, ran out to where Daniel was. And Daniel was still alive. And they pulled Daniel out of there, and then they decided to throw the advisors that had tricked Darius into signing that decree in there. And let me tell you right now, God opened their mouths and they were destroyed. But God protected his sheep in that instance. If you look at Noah, God was going to destroy the whole world because of how evil it was. All the men were sinful and there was none but one man that found grace in the sight of God. And God gave him the time to build the ark. That way he and his family could be saved. God protected his sheep. You know, God could have decided, well, I'm just going to wipe them all out. But he saw one man that was in his, sheep, in his fold and he said, I'm going to protect that man. I'm going to protect that woman that's in my fold right now. I'm going to give him the time. That way he can be. That way he can survive. We read of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel as well. And King Nebuchadnezzar built a great image, and he commanded that during the day, whenever whatever, I'm not sure exactly what all the music was that was played, but they knew what it was. And whenever that music played, they were supposed to bow down and worship that golden image. Well, there was these three guys that said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bow down and worship your golden image. Well, they called these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, up before King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, you know that my command was, whenever that music was played, that you're supposed to bow down. And he said, we will not bow. And this made Nebuchadnezzar mad. And he said, I want that fiery furnace stoked. I mean, I wanted it hot. And it was so hot that whenever the men that threw them in there, they died. It just took care of the men. It was so hot that those guys couldn't even survive it. And they threw them in bound. But whenever King Nebuchadnezzar looked in there, he said, did we not throw three men in there bound? And they said, well, yeah, we did. And he says, well, then how come I see four walking around free and the last is like the son of God? God protected his sheep. But the interesting thing and why I put this one last was there was a little phrase in there that these men said. He says, we know that our God has the power to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will not worship. You know, God doesn't always provide this protection for his sheep. His apostles, Christ's apostles, all all but one died very violent deaths. 
He, won't always, he may not always provide this protection, but he can. Or else there would be no reason to have these people on the prayer list if we didn't believe God could help them physically. I mean, because that's what most of these people are suffering with is physical things. God can protect his people physically. But the more important thing that he does is God provides spiritual protection for his sheep. That's the most important thing God does for us today. Sure, the physical is nice. And it would be nice if God saved all of us until we died old men in our beds. But that may not happen. But one thing I can guarantee you will always happen is God will provide spiritually for you. Spiritual protection for his sheep will always be in God. In the third verse, he says, He restoreth my soul. The Hebrew word, which is strong, 7725, means to bring home or to pull in again. He provides a way for you to come back even if you're gone. Or he'll provide a way to come back even if you're a newcomer. He provides a way to restore your soul to what God wants it to be. He provides that spiritual protection. I'm going to pull you back and I'm going to protect your soul. And he provides a way to fill that gap between man and God. And he says, I'm going to pull you back to me again. Another way he protects us in Ephesians 6 and 10 and 17. You know, here we have the whole armor of God. God provides the people with the loins girt with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He provides all those things to defend, for you to defend yourself against the devil. And be not deceived. He is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You're going to need this armor. And more importantly, you're going to need to know how to use it. You know, David, whenever he went before Goliath, King Saul put all of his armor on him. He said, I can't use this. I haven't proved it. This isn't the kind of stuff I use. If we do not use this armor God gives us, it does us no good. If we do not put it into practice using it, using the truth, using the sword, using the shield, if we put it, no practice into using this, it's going to do us no good at all. And then what God provided for us is going to be of no use to us. We need to be diligent in learning how to use these things. Because if not, the devil is out there and he will get us. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 10 and 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. This is something that God provides for us. Number one, we don't have any temptations that nobody else has ever had before. We're not special. You know, some people like to think, well, my sin's special. Nobody's ever had this problem before, especially when we're in the middle of it. We think, nobody's ever done this before. I, don't, I, can count how many to- I, I can't count how many times I've done something wrong. I went, there ain't, no, there ain't no way anybody's done this before. <laughs> Nobody else could be this stupid <laughs> to do that. I mean, why did I do it? But temptation is common. And everybody's gone through it. It may not be the exact temptation that you have, but somebody's gone through it before. The second part of this. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. God's not going to allow you to be tempted above what you can able, you're able to stand. He's not going to do it. 
Even all the things that he did, that the devil did to Job, God knew he could withstand that. Or God wouldn't have allowed it to happen. Now his friends, on the other hand, couldn't. Curse God and die, said his wife. But he knew Job could take it. He's not going to allow temptation to come to you that you can't handle. And then the last part is, but with the temptation, he will also make a way to escape. You know, in my world, I don't look for the way to escape. That's just the way it is with me. You know what I really look for? The way I can do this and nobody's going to know I did it. (laughs) That's what I look for. But God says, if you look for the escape, it's there. There is always a way of escape. A lot of times it's just a simple thing of saying, no, I'm not going to do it. Denying myself and doing what God wants me to do. But then again, that's a lot simpler to say than it is to do, isn't it? It's a lot simpler to say, yeah, I'm going to do what God wants me to do instead of what I want to do. Actually putting it into practice is something different. But I plead with you, look for the way to escape. God provides a way for you to escape the temptation. He provides that. That is one thing that He has provided for you. You should take great comfort in knowing that God is not going to allow you to be tempted above what you can stand. It's not going to happen. And even if you don't believe it at the time, there's somebody on this earth that's gone through the same thing you're going through. There's somebody that can help you with that. That ought to be a great comfort to you. I'm not alone in this. People, other people have these problems. I can go to other people and get help with my problems. Maybe they have a way of getting around it that I haven't thought of. But God has provided all those things. All we got to do is take advantage of it. And finally, God takes away the fear of death. The famous verse, Psalms 23 and verse 4, the main one you hear at funerals, Lo, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He'll even lead you through death. In 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and 26, the last enemy that shall be defeated shall be death. God's, Jesus is going to defeat death for us. There will be no more death after this world. And then you skip down that ver- in that chapter to 51 through 58 and it talks about Oh, it talks about the power of the grave and the sting of death. And there is none in God. Because eventually God's going to defeat death like He said earlier in those passages. There's going to be nothing to fear because there will be no death. And in Psalms 23 and 6, the reason there is no fear of death, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, as David put it. God's going to have a place where I can live forever and be with Him forever. This isn't as good as it gets. In John 14 and verse 3, Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. If I've gone to prepare a place, I'm going to come again that I can call you unto me. He's got a place prepared for each and every one of us. He provides that for His sheep. There is no fear of death in God. 
You know what Jancy said at Granny's funeral? It's a little bit different when a Christian dies. Because they're truly going home. They don't have to toil in this life anymore. They don't have to deal with the pains of this life anymore. And if you're one of his sheep, there should be no fear of death. Now the question is, with all these things that God provided, are you one of God's sheep? Because in Matthew 25, 31, and 46, we have the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he says to the goats, you didn't provide shelter when I was needed. You didn't provide clothes when I needed. You didn't visit me when I was sick and in prison. And they said, when saw we thee like this and did not provide for you? And God says, as much as you did it not for the least one of these, my brethren, you did it not for me. And he'll send them away into destruction. But then he'll say to the sheep, you clothed me when I needed it. You fed me when I needed it. You came and visited me when I needed it. And they said, when, when saw we you like this and did this? And he said, as much as you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And they shall enter the joys of life eternal. Well, his, people that aren't his sheep are going to end up in destruction. People that are his sheep are going to end up in life eternal. You know, in 1 Peter 3 and 9, 3 verses 9 to 10, you know, people are saying, it's been 2,000 years and he still hasn't came back yet. Well, this verse says, God is not slack in his promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward that none should perish, but all that, that all should have eternal life. And in verse 10 he says, for God's going to come as a thief in the night. We don't know when it's going to happen. All we know is under this point, God has been long-suffering for us. Under this point, right now, God has been long-suffering that everybody should come to repentance. That everybody should become one of God's sheep and enjoy all the things that God provides for his sheep. We're not guaranteed of tomorrow, because what do we know? Our life is like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then is gone. And you know what? He may decide to come back today, or this evening. We have no guarantee of when that's going to happen. You know, people have been predicting, well, I was wrong this time, but the next time, he, I'm going to be right, and he's going to come back then. The thing is, nobody knows. If people knew, they would go, like, well, I'm going to live like I want to, and then come to him at the last minute. That's not how God wanted it to run. All we know is he has been long-suffering to this point. That way we might have eternal life and have the things that he provides for us. And that we can take comfort in those things. And I believe this is very comforting. I believe this is the most comforting passage in the Bible, Psalms 23. But the thing is, you have to be one of his sheep to enjoy it. That's the bottom line. And if we can help you with that, won't you come as we stand and sing?